si escuchan que hay gente... Welcome everyone, you're listening to Daniel here on The D-Report. Today we'll get an opportunity to speak with Precious Fasakin. Our subject will be online teaching. Hopefully we'll be able to address both the educator, teacher, and student perspective. But before we begin our conversation, Precious, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Precious Fasakin. I am a fourth year student of economics and anthropology at the University of California, Riverside. So I was hoping to talk to you about the student perspective to school, college, Uh, in particular, the way that we have modified teaching and learning due to COVID-19. I teach. I've been teaching for a long time. And I am struggling. Like I found the COVID uh, modifications, which I was teaching online for a long time. But my classes that were not online turned to online remote learning. They have been really difficult. But then I was thinking, how is it from the student perspective? Uh, how, you also have a, a, a teacher perspective. So maybe we can talk about both. But I would like to lead with that. I would love to just hear how you are processing this experience of going to college under COVID-19. So I think for me, and thank you for even just inviting me to have this conversation, I don't think anybody or very few people have genuinely even just asked, how's it been learning? I think people ask genuinely, how are you holding up? How are you feeling? Which is so important that this huge chunk of any student's life right now is online in terms of learning and what our job is. My mom always says, you don't have a job. Your job is to be a student. Right now, my job has completely changed. So I think that I've sensed a lot of apathy, to be completely honest. Um, I think a lot of students now look at this as something where there's loss, but they're in that stage of grief where they're saying, well, it is what it is, and they're kind of just stuck there. A lot of students are saying, well, we can't really do anything about it, so you might as well just get through it. And I think that, on one hand, that's helped a lot of people because – it is really difficult to navigate. This is not normal and we don't see a clear end in sight. I think that's one of the biggest aspects of this. And I think about the people who are younger than me, because I'm 21. I think that's like in the grand scheme of things, that's so baby. But then in terms of um, standardized learning, that's pretty old now. And I think about the people who are eight years old and they can't even really consider an end in sight. And um, for us, it's a, it's a similar experience. So I think that uh, there's, again, there's a lot of apathy. There's a lot of people who are just saying it is what it is. I know so many of my classmates are actually graduating. I'm a senior this year, so that's really exciting. But a lot of people around me are finishing out, and this is a strange way to finish. And they kind of just have accepted that. They're saying, this is where we're at right now. I'm going to get through my classes. I'm going to get through it. And I think for me, I've been really trying to turn away from that at least personally, just because I don't want any part of my life to be a just get through it. Um, I really, really enjoy school. I enjoy learning. I enjoy teaching. So I want this to continue to be a positive space for me. So I try to lean into it. But I think that understandably, a lot of people, myself included on certain days, they're just like, let me get through this Zoom call. 
And one time I'm going to slam my laptop shut and I'll be free. So, and I'm sure that you can, uh, you can um, identify with that as well, just because there's so much, so much screen time, so much time that I would have been walking from classroom to classroom that I'm now jumping from link to link. So it's a huge, huge shift. And it's, but it's definitely, I think a lot of people have also um, been able to navigate this and that it's not, it's not personal. It's not like, my school said, Precious, you have to be online now. I think this is a shared experience and not a lot of people are just thinking we have to get through it. We have to adjust, do what you need to do. And I think that is the general tone, at least with my learning experience and the people who are closest to me that are currently um, finishing up university as well. All right. Thank you for kind of being so candid. Uh, as a response, I think the conversation that a lot of us have been struggling with is how do we make it? through this moment so that I was, yeah, I was teaching when the shutdown happened in March and my classes shut down and I was not one of those that immediately jumped on to an online remote format so that surprisingly, or not surprisingly, because most people were like, that's so easy. Why didn't you just do it from one week to the next? It didn't feel like I it was the right time because similar to what you said is that in March, I didn't know how bad it was going to get. So I felt really awkward, really even asking my students to do work because I was like, for all we know, they don't have food because there was a moment where I felt insecure about the infrastructure of getting our goods sent through. And and it makes perfect sense uh, in retrospect, even though some people were saying you're an alarmist, nothing really was going to happen. I was like, that doesn't make any sense because when we think about an, a moment of emergency, if I am shutting down and if I'm sending out a message, I'm not going to go to work and you're sending a message saying I'm not going to go to school, then there's someone that says I'm not going to go work in the field or I'm not going to go truck, or I'm not going to go work at the factory. Um, and some of us were able to do that. Others weren't. So that, yeah, the fields did not immediately become emptied. Some people did walk away and take care of their families. Others were like, I'm so vulnerable, I can't even risk it. But what I'm getting at is that that moment of insecurity allowed me to feel that I was not going to pressure my class to finish online. But I did figure out a way to get them assignments and for them to turn assignments in. But it was almost like just we had the course shell, so we we're just doing it through that third party. But there was no face-to-face, -face, you know, like in the moment classroom. So then come August, it's the first moment of setting up the new classes. Uh, we have a little bit more sense of stability and we're all saying, we're going to do this. We're going to start the year online. And UCR did it, San Bernardino, Redlands, um, the local uh, religious colleges also. I just thought about this moment so that we're all in the same boat. I think you, you said the same thing. And what I didn't expect is how different it would be. And it's kind of silly that I said I didn't expect it when I'm literally saying I'm used to teaching physically and now all my classes are going to be online. But I thought for a moment that it would be something that would be recognizable. And the only thing I can recognize is the attempt 
to go through the same material. But everything is actually not the same. And it, it's been really frustrating, both as an educator trying to run the class, but also just as a spectator. Like, for example, seeing my daughter online, I get really angry. I was like, why are you online? Because I'm like, this is too much, six hours in front of a computer. And I'm like, okay, well, my classes are usually an hour and 20 minutes, but I'm sure that they are probably close to six hours online if you add up all the coursework. So I, I feel that we're probably in a similar page, you and I, that we are aware of just how awkward, weird, unsettling the moment is. And maybe uh, if we could uh, figure out a way, kind of like, how do we navigate that? Like, how do we put that into words? Like, how do you start the conversation? I think it really starts with just being able to say, <laughs> undeniably, this is not normal and we shouldn't try to pretend as though it is. I think the biggest mistake that we could try and make right now with our families, with our living situations, with work, with school, is to try to pretend that this is normal and try to keep up business as usual because that just won't work. It's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It's just not going to work. So I think that's the first way that we start this conversation. It's not normal and we don't have to pretend or try to make it look as though it is. So I think that that's even, I think that's actually been the deciding factor in who I see as the great educators right now within my own learning experience. It's the professors who very, professors, teachers, whomever, teachers in every way, who very much so start the conversation off with, this isn't normal. And this class, how I typically teach it, it's not going to be normal. And that actually takes effort. I understand that there's so much work that people have to do to redesign their courses because you can't just try and shift a syllabus from fall of 2019 to fall 2020. If you did that, then your students and you likely did suffer a lot. So I think that being able to start the conversation with this isn't normal, but how can we learn? Because at the end of the day, that is the number one objective. What we're doing in that classroom, it's not to follow a syllabus. It's not to meet university guidelines. I know that those things are so binding, but at the end of the day, the number one objective is to learn. And that's possible given any circumstance. I do believe that. I believe that no matter what space and under whatever, whatever conditions we're in, we continue to learn and it's various things. So I think that the teachers who've been really cognizant of that and started right out the gate with that understanding have been the ones who've had the most learning, the most progress, and the most comfort with their students and within their classrooms. So I think that that's really, that's been the biggest difference I've seen in professors, the people who lean into it and say, we're not going to pretend this is normal. Here's how I'm changing things. So it's not just the word. It's not just saying this is abnormal. Oh, this is crazy, whatever. It's adjusting to how this is so abnormal. And I think that makes a huge difference because this is where we're all at. I don't think that um, there's there's been so many questions over the years when I first started teaching. And I put air quotes when I say that because I do a little bit of student teaching. I just thought about I tried to keep on remembering my own experience. Every time I was in a classroom and I felt weird or I felt something was unfair, I would write it down. And then in my classroom, I would try to create responses to that in the standards not wait for something to arise and then address it. I would want to make a standard where that feeling wouldn't come up or if it did, there's an avenue to discuss it. So I feel that's where it really begins, but can, it's okay if I ask. I don't know if it's okay if I ask a question, but what does that look like for teachers, for people who've been doing this for decades, for years like you? 
I feel confused about my role. So that like in March, my role was um, clear in the sense that when I was communicating with my students at that time, we had been together for like, I want to say like close to three months. So I knew them. In fact, um, most of my teaching philosophy, going back to the very first time I, I got into the classroom as a elementary school teacher was to respond to, I think, what you just mentioned. Um, and I know it sounds really even ridiculous sometimes to say it, to be the teacher that I wanted. And I say it's ridiculous because that's what you write in books. You know, it's like, but it's genuinely what I thought. I was a naive 20-something-year-old out of college. I was like, I'm going to be that teacher that like I wanted. And surprisingly, the two that I wanted wasn't really, um, they didn't always look right. So I remember being, um, always getting in trouble because my teaching format was like sitting with students underneath the desk or not following rules. You know, when everyone would put their kids to walk in straight lines to the lunchroom, my kids um, didn't. I remember one time um, my principal told me like, hey, you should really work on having them be coordinated like in two lines. And then I took that as a joke and I said, well, well, we'll just do different shapes. So I would have my students walk in in like triangle formation, square formation, so that the teacher, the principal could tell that, yeah, they are working, which is not the shape you want. To the point of this is that like in my head, I've always been people first, students first, community first. And in March, I had what I thought a safe space. And I say that in, in a very genuine way that I went to work. And people in that circle as faculty, staff, and students, they have to be safe. And we're not always lucky, but I feel very fortunate that I had that moment. So in March, um, I'm among, among a collection of about 25 people that I care about in, in a way that is with permission. Like I care about them as students with a little bit of familiarity on it. So when we do the shutdown, I'm communicating to them in a very genuine way, like, I hope you're okay. And I hope you're okay as a person. And then I start saying things that are a little bit more uh, candid. I say things like, um, the university is going to try and make sure that you get credit and you don't lose, you know, the semester. So we're going to continue with the coursework so that you don't lose the semester. However, and I would end it with like, I know how that, that's difficult. You know, like we're scared. In fact, I was, I got a student telling me like my, my grandfather passed away. So I'm like, how am I supposed to ask that student to turn in work? But I'm trying to be transparent in my emails so that like the administrators, the higher ups know that I'm still working. But I'm really saying this is ridiculous. Like take care of yourself. But if you can submit the work, I will give you a grade so that in your transcript, you don't lose the semester. That's really all I wanted to say. And that's how I felt. You know, I felt that it was a very caring moment that I didn't understand why I was going to work every day because I was scared. I was scared that like, um, like I said earlier, at the very beginning, the first weeks when I was waking up early to go to the grocery store and there were lines, you know, and the shelves didn't have, I was like, we don't know how bad this is going to get. There was no guarantee. So I could only imagine that my students 
and it feels weird to even call them my students because I didn't, the community that I was in wasn't also experiencing the same. But now in, well, right now, in, like at the end of November, coming into December, I'm not longer there in the sense of like um, fear. We are still asking how long is this going to take? And I did, I think, change. I um I didn't change it that I wasn't I was I I didn't put up a shield. I don't care about the community anymore. But I don't I think I gave myself permission to pretend that I was gonna be able to teach a class. And I put that in air quotes regular. And that was my mistake. Because it doesn't make any sense. Like why did you even open that space to think that you were gonna have a 16 week semester for two classes and do everything the way you did it before. So what happened is that I joined a lot of the backside conversation of educators that are all over the spectrum of feelings, from anger to hurt to insecurity, um, feeling, second-guessing their, their sense of being competent in the field they are prepared for. And that's a weird space to be right now. No, it definitely is. And I think that, that the question of competence has been all across the board. And so I feel like I just want to say, like, for all of the teachers, all of the teachers who've been giving so much of themselves during this pandemic and before this pandemic, which is really what teachers do constantly. I don't think people realize that. It's like, it doesn't go away, the feeling of questioning and potential incompetence. And it starts, it's there present when you're a student and doesn't necessarily go away, even when you're giving all the training and expertise. So it's really just a strange kind of, I, I think it's really, and I think that we, again, it's like we have to allow that space for one another. I think it's really important as we try to navigate this time, just having different, um, different expectations. And I even like, when I look at my, again, when I say who are the great teachers right now, I look at the people who have tailored their expectations to the moment. And my mom always says, a great friend is one who you can take, who you've tailored your expectations to. And um, she said, you'll be able to love anybody if you tailor your expectations a bit. And that's not to say, let the world run over you. But I think that you have to adjust your expectations to the moment. And the professors and teachers who've gone beyond are those who have done so very openly and clearly for this pandemic. And I think that um, just even having those conversations with yourself, considering, am I good for this space? It shows that you care enough to want to be good for your students. And they sense that. Um, and I think that that vulnerability, which we're all feeling right now, is better put on the table than shoved deeper inside of us. So I think that it's just, it's, it's all really an adjustment. And I think for students and teachers alike, and every day I'm thinking right now, I'm at the point where I'm two weeks out from the end of the semester, and I'm waiting for that sense of relief of being done. And then two weeks later, I'll go back in. And I'm just thinking, I, I don't want to be looking for the release of no longer learning. I don't feel like that is really a release. What I'm looking for is no longer having the obligation of being on my computer all the time. And so I'm really trying to understand where I'm feeling. So it's not, oh, I hate school. I don't want to be in school right now. I don't want to be on my computer all day, which is okay. And finding balance is finding ways to address that and still continue to love learning, which I think a lot of people do. And a lot of people have been um, conditioned to think that they don't love learning, 
when that's what we're constantly doing. And again, it's something else that's associated with that space, with those moments that we dislike. And I think it's really important to be able to know and address that rather than throwing the baby, the school baby, out with the bathwater of this pandemic. I think a lot of us are going through that reflection of like, is this it? Is this what school has become? Is this what learning has become? And um, I'm curious if you can maybe um, address something that a lot of us are missing on the educator side, on the teaching side. Um, I think you address something that is significant, that there's a difference between saying, I, I enjoy learning, and I, I want to be here. And being able to distinguish, I just don't appreciate this format. So, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about this format itself. I um, I find everyone is, uh, yeah, I think almost everyone that I kind of hear online is aware of screen fatigue. It is something that hit all of us. You're, you may be working in HR and you're tired of being on your computer. So I think there's something about this format that, that we're realizing didn't work. How would you start untangling that, just addressing the format alone of our interactions? You know, I think it starts with looking at the people and communities who have been experiencing this, this battle with formatting and how things are given to them in terms of whether or not they can engage with it fully. So actually, one of my friends um, has ADHD, and they were telling me that they're so happy that school is online. And this was before, and they're just, we're just speaking about our online experience. And they were just telling me, I'm really relieved because what I didn't like about school, and for years they told me they thought that they hated school. And now in the university level, which of course is a choice um, for a lot of us, um, they told me that they realized what they didn't like about school was the social aspects of it, the anxiety that they would have in the classroom, the pressure to perform in a certain way. And they loved learning, but the format was so much pressure and it brought out the what they defined as the worst in them. It didn't allow their best aspects to shine. And they just said, I'm relieved. And they also thought it was funny. See, now all of you see what it's like to be yourself and just not be able to be your best self due to the circumstances that you're given. So I think that's really interesting. It's important to start there. And just knowing that learning, whether it's within a university or school or wherever, does not come in one way. And I hope that we step away from this pandemic and say, there are alternatives. There were so many times before this pandemic that students would say, I need to be remote for a few weeks. This is happening in my life. And they were told, no, you have to withdraw. And now we see it was possible the entire time, <laughs> given the right circumstances. Of course, the university is, is willing to bend. So I think that one of the biggest things is that we need to, as we, I think we step away, hopefully in the next months and the next years from this, from this time in all of our lives, I hope that we step away with just understanding that it really starts with knowing that we need various formats. There's various aspects of learning. In the class that I designed, I just wanted students to have options. That was one of the number one words I stepped into, options, because I don't want to be on my computer all day, but I can't say, oh, come to school. I'm going to be there. It's an option. That's not an option right now. But I wanted them, them to have other options. So I said, here's a listening component that you can do rather than a reading on your laptop. So you can be taking a walk around the block 
or you could have this on while you're washing dishes or interacting with a pet and you could be learning. You could be taking information in that we're going to use to discuss um, this week's topics in class in the next few days. So I think that, again, offering these alternatives, saying to students there isn't just one way for you to be introduced to this concept that is necessary. Telling students there isn't just one way that I can view you as intelligent. Because so many students just want their professors, their teachers to view them as one of the bright ones. Um, and if they're not part of that cast of bright students, then they say, well, I just want to pass. And that apathy has begun. And that was happening before this pandemic. And I'm sure it will continue after. So I think, again, just having different ways that we can encourage students to say, I view you as intelligent, capable and full of, full of so much potential. And there are so many ways that can be done. And I think that's one of the that's one of the really critical um, approaches to it, at least that I've seen within the last few months. But as a teacher, what do you think? How would you respond to that? As you were itemizing this way of thinking about how this format, specifically Zoom and the other WebEx, Skype, um, there's like two other stuff that people are using, but I was thinking uh, has been critiqued as in like what a difficult medium it is to in interact for educators frustrating um for me uh hasn't worked really well because i i rely on interactions in fact that w i i started talking about like my first teaching uh experience uh working with 10 year olds and i don't mean it to sound disrespectful but like every interaction has been like that like i what what they needed we all need. And one of the things my students needed when I met them and they were 10, they needed to know that they were respected and they were safe and they were valuable. So I do that if you're 40, if you're older than me. Um, and I thought I had the skill set to convey that in person. What I found myself realizing is that I did not have the skill set to convey that through Zoom. And what I was hinting at or was saying earlier is like, oh, let's talk about the medium because I was, I have been immersed in a lot of um, material stating it doesn't work for me. Students saying I can't be on here, teachers going I can't teach. But what I was missing is the large group of students that say it worked for me because there is actually a very big number. We didn't know how big it was. And I was thinking about reflecting as I was hearing you because I, I was very encouraged by your the way that you were able to think about how this moment is not just a moment of like uh, emergency, but it is a moment of a, adjusting to a reality of potential so that we were always wanting these changes so that many of us saying, do I have to go to class? Cause it takes me an hour and a half to drive. And we were said, told no, but now we don't have to. And now I can be in the same class with you without having to drive an hour and a half, you know? So I want to own, I want to shift the conversation to the valuable part. Cause I think that I'm more encouraged at this moment by that. And thinking about this uh, saying that like, I am now as we kind of, as I'm, closing the class the semester, itemizing like what worked and what didn't. And I realized that what worked, I ended up doing pre-recording lectures, which I didn't like. 
but it worked for a lot of students. They were just like, I'm not going to hear you lecture through Zoom. <laughs> um, and I never really did like scripted lectures. What I did was my format was always conversational. So I would introduce the subject, maybe do like a five minute like, paragraph of me stating some key points. And then I would pass it on to the class and then go back. So lecturing was, was like a conversation that was really slow. It would have taken me maybe 15 minutes to state, might have taken would take an hour to go through the material because it's back and forth. Well, when I started recording them, I realized that I was hearing the students that were succeeding. Like, oh, I heard that 15 minute fully. And he, and they were itemizing points that I've never heard before. Because in the conversation format in person, a lot of people were losing track. In fact, I found it valuable. A lot of us found it valuable. But a lot of us were frustrated. Like, I don't understand what to write. And I was like, oh, and I would re repeat the key points. But I realized now that, yeah, I realized that I was, I, I was minimizing just because I wasn't catching those that were quiet, that they were like, this format that you seem to support isn't for me. Like, I just wish you could do just lecture for an hour and I would take notes, which I would never be able to do. But eventually here, since I realized that I couldn't, I tried lecturing in Zoom and I tried lecturing the same way where I would do like a five minute PowerPoint, pause, go back to the class and jump around. It wasn't working. So for me, I realized that, um, that I almost, I almost want to own that for every critique of the format, there has to be a recognition that it, it is productive. I'm trying to own the, both things, but I found it difficult. I, I feel like that I didn't I didn't support the class in the way that I was familiar with, and immediately my response was I failed. So now I have to think about the opposite. Like maybe it didn't look how you thought it should look, but go look for the stuff that did work and let go. Like don't be hung up that you I, I was in, I was in communication with what past student and and he checked in, like, how are you doing? And I just said, oh, it's tough. You know, I'm not doing that good. And then he kind of like was laughing like, haha, you know, like I remember your class. Yeah, I can see how it's hard because you, you do those check-ins. And he put those little quotes because that's what I call it. Like, let's pause now to check in on everybody. And for him, that was a memory. Like, I remember your check-ins. It just meant we're stopping the class and we're just going to start talking. And he remembered it and he said, I can see how that's not going to work in Zoom. But now I need to work on thinking what did work. Because if I get hung up on what didn't work, it's a skewed assessment. No, definitely. And I think that that approach is actually critical when we try to assess any anything in this life that we want to improve. I think that the first step is we say this doesn't work. Okay, let's dismantle this. But and even to me, the more important side of that coin is the rebuilding, the reconsideration. Okay, but what does work? What do we want to see happen in this moment? And I think that I one thing that I do want to say that has been so beneficial about this pandemic is I've seen people saying, okay, this doesn't work, but now I'm forced to imagine something that does, not only works, that serves us all even better. And then just seeing that that doesn't look like just one thing. And I've seen people, this word imagination keeps coming up and it makes me so happy. I think for a lot of people, that was a word that we left behind when we were five years old. But now seeing imagination as a critical aspect 
of moving forward. It's a critical aspect. Now we understand imagination as a critical aspect of revolution. And we say, okay, well, I want online or remote learning, as we try to say, to look completely different. What do I want it to look like? I know what I don't want it to look like X, Y, Z, but what do I want it to look like? And that ABC is so much more important than the nose. So I think that right now, again, I always, I think those check-ins that you were doing in physical learning or in-person learning was so important. And it's critical to continue doing that um, in whatever ways do work. I tell my students and my classmates even, I try to be that one classmate, even though it's a bit of a burden for me that says, we have a group me, we have a Slack, we have this please join. It's like, we just talk about it. And it's a little bit stressful for me, even if I'm not the one coordinating it, because then people are messaging me and texting me privately, trying to get added to the group. But I think this is such a huge benefit to so many people. Like, this is what we need. It's like, we need to be the ones for ourselves and the people around us to say, okay, let's find a way to gather, even if we can't do so in person. Let's have a Zoom study group one day out of this whole quarter just because it just makes it is helpful and it takes a little bit of the burden and the pressure off of the teacher because normally we would be able to say, Hey, I don't get this. Can you help to your neighbor? And now it's all just this pressure on our educators to say, I don't understand this and it must be your fault. When normally we have this natural physical like environment that is learning, that environment is critical. So how do we recreate this in person? And I see people doing that all the time, writing groups, study groups, um, even just messaging boards. So you're not on your computer, you're on your phone sometimes. And for a lot of us, that's a bit of a relief. And again, like that imagination, I've seen people use their imaginations to do so much right now. And that gives me hope. I like your your line of thinking about the potential, because what is happening right now is I think we're in the middle well, maybe I hope it's the middle of this emergency moment. And we're assuming that we're going to come back. So that for some of us, this spring, a January semester or quarter, we're like, okay, I won't be there physically because we're probably going to continue. But we're hoping like maybe next fall, 2021, I should be, you know, physically there. But I think about this thing that a lot of us are looking at, um, the larger uh, scope and landscape of really thinking about the transformation that's taking place so that when I think about uh, school, and most of my classes, I think, lend themselves, not just lend themselves, they are immersed in the place of, of thinking about how this relates to outside material because I teach anthropology and ethnic studies. And I used to tell my friends jokingly when I would vent is like, I don't teach math. And what I meant by that, what I meant by that is that like, if I was teaching algebra, I, I would still care about what's happening outside the news, but I would be able to in my own head say like, well, just focus. But here we're talking about, for example, issues of immigration, police violence. Um, so everything that is happening outside of the classroom is literally what we're talking about inside the classroom. And what we've been working with is this sense of like, uh, many of us as educators, thinking about bridging that divide. Because as, as you mentioned, 
for a lot of us, college is an option. Um, many of us don't make it to college either by choice or by opportunity. But there's something that happens here. And, and I think that the loss that a lot of us feel is that it has become, use the word standardized. And it, I think it was always standardized and it probably still becoming standardized. But what I feel, what I feel when I think standardized, I think robotic, like that moment where like, just tell me the 10 things I need to learn and I'll tell them back. And, and I think about these things that say, that's not how we think of education. Some of us do, by the way. Some of us literally, I've been in classes that here are the five terms you need to know. Next week, memorize them and give them back to me. But what I think a lot of us are struggling with as students and educators and facilitators, even because I think about this idea of like all the support staff that we don't see, the IT people, the office administrators, um, I'm in contact with them and they are amazing. It's weird because we always knew that that's what kept the whole thing going. Like I showed up to turn on the class, but someone made sure that like the room was clean, the doors were unlocked, the, the registrar put a thing on schedule. All that's all those people. I'm, I've been more and more in contact with it, and it's surprising how much they're working right now. They're working in their homes, um, trying to take care of their family the same way they always have. With what's happening now, I feel that we have been forced to to unveil a lot of our lives physically, literally. Um, like right now, you're seeing me through this thing, which is this background. It's a real. It's not a. It's not a fake background, but it is a curated background, precious. Because I could be showing you another angle, but I'm not. So I'm just thinking about the interesting thing that what we do, like. And I feel that with my students, like at first I was like, let's have our, let's have our cameras on. And I realized like they didn't invite you to their home. You know, I knew that I needed the camera because I wanted to, like I said earlier, I was trying to recreate that first um, physical classroom. And then little by little started say, they started saying no. I mean, they never said no. They just started shutting them off. Before I knew it, it was like, by myself no there was only like one or two but it was uh, it was so few and then i realized like they are telling you they don't want to be on the screen don't take it personal but i feel that that was the part that a lot of us missed as educators like how is it that we missed the boat that we actually thought we had permission to follow them home you know we didn't really but just turning on the camera no, like many of us, I know that I always laugh. Like we all, most of the teachers have a bookshelf in the back. I don't know if you noticed that. Like why? We don't, I mean, th these books are books that I've had in class or I use teach out of them, but why can't I just show you a, a bare wall or something else? Because it's curated. So what do students have to curate? Some of us don't have an opportunity to do that. And that's exactly why I feel like... <laughs> That idea of curation. Students don't have the bookshelf background. A lot of them don't even have a place where they continually work. Um, I, re I bought a desk because of the pandemic. I didn't have a desk for since I was, I, I don't even remember the last time I had a desk at home. So even just these little details of where, where are your students even learning? Nobody cared to ask those questions. Do you have a space where you can have quiet? At the beginning of this conversation, 
I had a family member, I don't know who, knocking on my door and I just tried to talk through it. But they're continually knocking, even though I'm speaking. And it's not because they're inconsiderate. It's because you're living in the middle, you're learning in the middle of someone's home. So I think that giving yourself and the people that you're working with online or otherwise the leeway to have some privacy because this is so far from private. I think it's even really funny. Sometimes I'll hear my brothers who are at different levels of schooling too while we're here at home, um, hearing them getting their thoughts out during class and even just having a family member walk past your room if the door isn't closed, it suddenly makes you feel like embarrassed somehow. Even though you're just speaking about whatever is going on in class, you don't want, it's like worlds are crossing over. So again, it's just, it's kind of strange. We never thought of these tiny little factors before it was just, I need a flat table to fill out a worksheet or I need to get on the computer to type out my assignment. And it was as simple as that. And I can listen to music in the background and have my mom blending food in the kitchen. And now I can't have any of that. And I feel horrible because I want my family to feel free as well. But now I have to say to my mom, can you cook later? Because I'm in class and I can't hear anything. And it's just like we're living on top of each other. And she's still going to work. She's a nurse. Um, everybody, and she has patients who she talks to on the phone in the middle of the house. And all of these factors just bumping into each other. And again, that's why I feel like even professors have to be able to say, I'm going to have my camera off for a moment. I love the professors who say, okay, we're going to take a break right now. Not the breakout rooms. No, we're taking a five-minute break. Go get water. Bring a snack to the classroom. It's okay. Like, this isn't a normal time. So why not take a break and step away and have water? Why not bring your chips or your veggie sticks to your laptop and have a more enjoyable experience while we're learning together? Um, chew your food before you start speaking, but um, it's okay to try and adjust and make things more comfortable. And that begins with having your students just feel comfortable in a general sense. Then they'll feel comfortable to turn their camera on. Um, in my classroom, I just say, if you want to talk and have your camera on, that's lovely because I love to see you all. But if you don't, that's just as great because I love to hear your voice. So people don't have their cameras on. I just say, if you can't talk today, just... Um, private message me and I won't call on you because I don't think it's even fair to say, oh, you out of nowhere. Because in the classroom, you can see your teacher's eyes land on you. You know when you're about to be um, the next target. <laughs> but through online learning, those cues are no longer there. Um, you can't try and hear a little signal from your classmate next to you. You're all alone. So I think that flexibility has been so important. I think that flexibility and compassion are applicable everywhere. And we shouldn't try and strip them out of this online learning experience as well. I think it's just as critical, if not more critical during this time. Precious, I want to thank you for sharing this conversation with us. Of course. It's been so much fun. I got me talking about school like this. I'm having too much fun. We have to do this again. You have just finished sharing your conversation with educator Precious Vesikin. We spoke today about the format of online teaching as a response to COVID-19. In particular, I feel we were able to address a little bit of the teacher as well as the student perspective. Considering how this online format has produced screen and emotional fatigue and has put into question the model of college as well as non-college education. Many of us have reflected and found difficulty in this new format. 
putting into question the skill sets that we have developed up to this point, producing insecurity and vulnerability as educators, but also considering the student perspective and thinking about the difficulty that many students are going through as they try to navigate this educational format that often produces a vulnerability of transparency as the online screen gives insight into our respective homes. I want to thank you for listening to this conversation today. This is Daniel with The Dear Report. Please feel free to send me any thoughts, comments, feedback you may have to the following email. Comments at dreport.org. You can also check out our archive page at dreport.org to review past segments. Thanks again. Stay safe. Stay strong. Join us again next week.